I am not someone who does very well with small talk. Um, I can with you because I like you people. Uh, but when I'm with people that I'm not as familiar with or whatever it is, I, I have a little bit of a difficult time with the small talk thing. Um, and so what I've learned over the time as someone who is an introvert, uh, I have learned that the best thing to do is to ask people questions about themselves. And the reason why is that, number one, people love to talk about themselves. It's just true in general. Um, and I know some of you, well, I don't like to talk about myself. Uh, you're not being honest. Look in the mirror, and you know that you like to talk about your life and where you've been and, and what has brought you to this point. Uh, and secondly, the other reason why it's effective is that not everyone, you know, not everyone gets asked on a regular basis what they were doing, how they felt, all these different sorts of things. And so it's a great way for me to stand there and not really have to say much if I, if I ask people about themselves. Now, see, you're going to be analyzing all the times you've spoken to me, and well, I guess, you know, that's fair. Uh, and in general, if you get into it far enough with people, uh, they like to tell you stories about what they were like when they were growing up. And I, for one, I love to hear stories about people when they were growing up. In fact, I love to hear other people tell stories about other people when they were growing up. It's nice to have that outside perspective. And I say in general because there are those who don't necessarily want to talk about what their life was like when they were growing up. And um, that's fair, I, t I totally get that. Uh, but it can be a lot of fun to learn something about what a friend was like as a kid and compare that child to the person you know now. For example, did Wayne have a beard when he was eight? <laughs> I would believe it. I would believe it if that, if that were the case. Um, and I know that most of you probably think that I was never a child. Uh, but I assure you I was. I was a child for at least five years. And um, my sister Beth, if you know this kind of story of my family, my, my older siblings are much, much older. And the, my sisters and I who are triplets, we are uh, almost a whole completely different family uh, from, from how my sister and, and my brother grew up. But my sister Beth is 15 years older than I am. And when I was a kid, Beth was in college at Pepperdine, and she became a rocket scientist, like legitimately programmed missile guidance systems for Hughes Aircraft. Um, and she was the coolest older sister a boy could have. She would bring me posters of rockets and like all these different things. She, I still have a life-size poster of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar that my sister brought me when she was at one of the game, the Lakers games, after he broke the scoring record. And let me tell you something, those shorts are short. <laughs> they are embarrassingly short. But my sister, she would come home uh, all the time and she would often bring her friend Melody with her. And Melody uh, wore bright red lipstick and would call me her boyfriend. Um, and I was so embarrassed by that, but you know, whatever. The more embarrassed I was, the more Melody would like to call me her, her boyfriend as, you know, a five or six-year-old kid. And this is a story that Beth and Melody loved to tell. Beth and Melody came to Fresno for a weekend, and as was the custom in my house, uh, we all did yard work on the Saturday they were there. 
And I was helping Beth and Melody pull weeds in the flower bed next to our driveway. And apparently, my five or six-year-old body uh, started to overheat. And um, I put whatever tool I was using down, and I looked at them dead in the eye, and I said, I think I need to go inside. I'm about to expire. (laughs) Now, I don't know if I put my hand to my forehead or not, but it's definitely within the realm of possibility that I did such a thing. Now, what does that story tell you about me? I'm not sure I want to know, but there you have it. There is a story about me growing up. Um, Childhood, adolescence, young adulthood are parts of Jesus' life that we don't know very much about. Uh, And of course, I have questions about that time in his life. For example, was Jesus like a normal kid? Um, Did he play in the mud? Uh, Did he make swords out of sticks? Uh, Did he do all the things that little boys do? Uh, And and then that leads me to other questions such as, what was it like to be his parents? Um, Did they ever have to get him in trouble? Did Jesus ever sit in time out? I want to know the answer to this question. Um, and, And how did that go? Because the thing about all this that is such a mystery is that we have how many biblical stories about him when he was a child? One. We have one biblical story that potentially can give us insight into who he was as a boy. Now, I'm going to give you a quick uh, shot of information here. If you have questions about this, ask me about it later. Um, There are other stories that were recorded in a collection of extra-biblical books called Apocrypha. So you may or may not know this, but when the Bible was uh, made a book, when it was canonized, there were books that did not make the cut. Um, And those books are, in some way or form, in some cases, still exist today. And uh, one of the most well-known books from the Apocrypha was the Gospel of Thomas. Now, just to be clear, the reason why the books uh, could have been excluded, I mean, for one thing, we believe that the Holy Spirit forms the Scripture. Sorry, I've got like something stuck in the back of my throat here. Hold on a sec. Thank you for all your support in clearing your throats as well. (laughs) Ah, there we go. A little better. Um, so, So we would say that the Holy Spirit did not move those books into the canon. But the reasons why they decided at that time, besides the uh, formation of the Holy, by the Holy Spirit, was that there could have been any number of reasons, but one of the primary ones was could they prove the authenticity of the letter or the book. So Thomas is one of these that, falls out, that fell outside of it. It told a lot of stories about Jesus, and, and the main gospel of Thomas has mainly, mostly just a bunch of sayings of Jesus that were put together, and they're sayings that are not in the other gospels. Why were they not in the other gospels? Because those who brought the gospel of Thomas forward said that these were things that Jesus said in private. Therefore, they were not listed in the other Gospels. So however you think about that, if you have questions, come talk to me later and I'll nod my head and smile. Um, 
There was another book attached to the Gospel of Thomas, though, that was called The Infancy Gospel of Thomas. And in that gospel, they share some stories about what Jesus was like as a boy. And man, let me tell you, these are some stories about what Jesus was like when he was a boy. And according to this uh, book, the boy Jesus, number one, he made birds out of clay. And when he got in trouble for making birds out of clay, he made them all come to life and they flew away. What birds made out of clay? Right? Um, a child fell uh, off the roof and, and out of a second uh, story window, and the child's parent came and um, accused Jesus of pushing the boy out the window. Uh, and, and the boy had died in the fall. And, and Jesus, you know, child Jesus is like, I didn't do it. Well, who did it? He just fell. You know, you've talked to kids about things like this. But the kid's down there dead on the ground. So Jesus walks downstairs, raises the child to life, and the first thing he says to him is, did I push you out the window? Uh, he healed a boy bitten by a viper, and fun note, the snake exploded after he healed the other boy. But in the longest story, Jesus is terrifying as a five-year-old. I'm not going to tell you the whole thing, but it includes this statement to Joseph after the death of a child. Don't you know that I don't really belong to you? Don't make me upset. Yeah. Yeah, it's a whole different side of Jesus. Uh, that none of us have ever really seen or imagined. Now, why do those stories exist? Well, because the ideas of what Jesus was like as a boy are fascinating. Um, can we accept, for example, that Jesus was just kind of normal in most ways, or do we need Jesus to have been exceptional in power as a child in order for him to be the person that we know him as today? Does that, does that bring him more legitimacy? if we know that he could do amazing things as a five-year-old, as scary as it might has been? Did he show wisdom as soon as he started talking? Did he ever have that gibberish face that kids have? Or did he, when, after he was born, immediately say, Father, Mother, thank you for bringing me into this world on behalf of my Father, God, and the Holy Spirit? Like, is that what he said when he first opened his mouth? I don't know. But the unknown about Jesus, we kind of think, right, that anything is possible. Anything is possible. Anything could have happened. We learn a lot in our childhood. Did Jesus learn anything as he was a child coming up? If he got angry with another kid, how did that turn out? Well, Thomas can tell you how it turned out, but otherwise, like, how did it turn out? We don't have answers to any of these questions. Luke's account of the boy Jesus in Luke chapter 2, in fact, does not try to pursue any of these lines of thought. So off the bat, while we might wonder what Jesus was like as a child, we don't really know. This story that we're going to look at today is the only one that gives us any insight into what he was like. But Luke told this one story, and by the way, he is the only gospel writer that tells this story. It's not in any of the other gospels. 
He told this story about Jesus with great purpose to show whoever was reading his gospel that Jesus again was faithful to God from the beginning. So last week we looked at uh, when they took Jesus to the temple as a baby. He was dedicated to God. Uh, Mary went through the rites of purification. They did all of these things, so, and Luke recorded them as he did, so that people would know his family honored and followed and worshipped God. Uh, and, and then we had the prophets, uh, Anna and Simeon, who were there, who witnessed and attested to that this isn't just some ordinary baby. This is the Son of God. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 2. We're going to start out by reading the whole account here. Luke chapter 2, verses 42 through 52. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival, the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem, excuse me, <clears throat> to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them, and he was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Okay. Do we learn a lot about Jesus in this story? There are some... There are some implications, perhaps, that we can draw from, but there's not really a lot of information, is there? Uh, the account do doesn't give us any real detail uh, outside of the very short conversation that we have uh, between, or interaction we have between Jesus and his parents. So why then did Luke put this in there if it's kind of a nondescript story about what Jesus was like when he was 12? As, as a historian, did he want it there because it contributed to his account? Maybe. But there's nothing really dramatic about it. Jesus doesn't perform any miracles. He doesn't show power of any kind. This doesn't really prove anything about Jesus as the Messiah, does it? No. It doesn't really prove anything about him. So what was the point? Was the point, as I've heard people preach on this passage before, so see, you need to study your Bible. Because Jesus knew the Bible and could sit with teachers, and therefore you need to study your Bible. Well, Luke, just like he did in previous passages, wanted to talk about the kind of person Jesus was, and specifically about how he was raised. Uh, this is an important part of what he's saying here. So let's look back at verses 41 through 42. 
Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. Now, believe it or not, this is the point of the story. These two verses right here. Doesn't seem like it is, but this is the point of the story. Again, this story is right on the heels of Mary's cleansing and the presentation of Jesus at the temple, followed by the prophecies of Anna and Simeon. It is not an accident that those stories were followed up with the next point in Jesus' life that would be a significant moment for him to acknowledge. The Passover was a feast officially lasting eight days. Mary, Joseph, and other family members, including uh, probably Jesus' other uh, half-brothers and sisters, had attended Jerusalem for Passover. Now, why would they go to Passover? Because the Exodus teaches that all the males of Israel were expected at Jerusalem three times a year for Passover, the Feast of the First Fruits, and the Feast of Ingathering at the Harvest. Now, this was a costly endeavor. You had to gather up your whole family and take them to Jerusalem with you. By all accounts, for everything we know about it, Joseph was probably a self-employed carpenter, which meant that while he was gone on this trip, there was no money to be made. And they would have to leave their homes and their livestock or their, their, their farms unattended as they went to these places. And then, when they got there, they would have to offer sacrifices. So, while we might look on the outside and say, well, it's not such a big deal that they did this, it kind of is. And it's for this reason. You don't accidentally do this. You do this because you plan for it. You do it because it's important to you. And you do it because you want to honor God. Um, this is really the important point that Luke wants to make. Again, they did what they were supposed to as people who loved, honored, and respected God. So why is this so important? Remember that Luke is writing this gospel so that people can read it and believe that this is a true account of who Jesus was. Why would he emphasize that this is a true account of who Jesus was? Because there were false accounts of who Jesus was. There were stories everywhere about what he had done and what he was like, including one about him exploding a snake after it bit a child. These stories were out there. And there were those who would encounter Luke's gospel that believed that Jesus was this arrogant religious rebel who led people away from what God intended and had the audacity to call himself the Son of God, the redemption of his people. There is no way that a guy that would say that knows who God is. There is no way that a person that would claim that about himself would honor God with his life, when clearly all he's trying to do is focus the attention on himself. I kind of understand why people would think that if they just heard stories about him. It, 
it makes sense to me that those stories and those thoughts are out there. After all, even while Jesus was walking on the earth, touching, healing, teaching, changing people's lives, there were those who believed he was tearing down all that God had done. There were those that hated him. For how he was saying that they didn't treat people in the right way, that God expected them to change their actions. So Luke wanted to show beyond a doubt that Jesus and his family cared a great deal about what God wanted them to do. Jesus followed the law. And when did he start following the law? When he was a child. When he was a child. He has been who he is since birth. He has always been someone who loves and honors God. Now, this sort of echoes some things that Jesus says about himself. If you look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 19, <clears throat> Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. What did Jesus in this passage acknowledge about his relationship not only with the law, but with those who follow the law? Well, those who follow the law are having a hard time reconciling who Jesus is with their understanding of the law. And when they can't reconcile those two, what is the conclusion they come to? Jesus is abolishing the law and the prophets. He's telling you that you don't need to pay any attention to the law and the prophets. That you just listen to what he says and he's got the truth. And people were uncomfortable with that. Understandably so. But look at what Jesus is saying here. He doesn't just recognize the problem. He says, if you think that I am here to undo one letter, from what God has said, you are wrong. I am not undoing anything. I am instead doing what? Fulfilling. We are bringing this thing to a level you have not known before. And this is not outside of what God wants. This is exactly what God wants. Jesus and his family cared about doing what God wanted them to do. They did what they were supposed to out of love and service to God, and they had to make sacrifices to do it. So let's look at the rest of the story. We'll read it one more time. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled for a day, then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. 
Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Okay, there are a couple different layers I want us to look at here today, and we're just going to sort of peel them back one by one. And let's start by talking about Mary and Joseph. We should not be confused about how Mary and Joseph feel in this story. You see, they had lost their son. Not like one aisle over in the grocery store. He was gone. For how long? At least three days. They had already set out on the road. At least three days. And can you imagine how that conversation must have gone? Hey, Jesus, come on up here for a second. Jesus. Mary, have you seen Jesus? I don't know if um, any of you have ever lost your child before, even for a moment. It is an unsettling experience. Um, and there was uh, some fault, of course, by Mary and Joseph in this story. Um, they thought Jesus was with them, and he wasn't. It's like the first home alone, if you will. <clears throat> and in effect, the reason why this happened is that Jesus had run away. This is what he literally did. He ran away from his family, and he didn't tell anyone where he was going. It took them three days once they realized he was gone to find him. And where did they look? Everywhere. They looked everywhere. And by the time that they found Jesus in the temple, they had to have been absolutely frantic. Even on the edge of thinking he might be gone for good. I mean, that is a long time to not know where your child is. And I imagine that when they walk into the temple and they see him sitting there with the teachers of the law, they felt two things, relief and anger. Jesus is getting a time out after this one. How could Jesus put them through this? He didn't leave a note with his family. Jerusalem was a big city, much larger than any of the cities that they had come from. How could he do this to them? Why, well, bad news for you. It's not the point of the story. So Luke doesn't address it at all. Now, what was Jesus' answer to, where have you been? What was his answer? And his answer was this. You should have looked for me here in the first place. My friends, that proves that Jesus was an average 12-year-old. <laughs> the fact that he ran off without telling his parents and then blamed them 
for the fact that they couldn't find him for three days. That is vintage 12-year-old right there, right there. It's, it's, it's a great moment. And if we ever doubted that Jesus was fully human, well, there you go. He was fully human. It's not my fault you didn't find me and spent the last three days running all over Jerusalem looking for me. You should have looked here first. Now, why didn't they look there first? Why did it take them three days to get there? Well, as we've already stated, he's a 12-year-old boy. When a 12-year-old boy gets loose in the city, where is that 12-year-old boy going to go? Oh, I know, the temple. <laughs> no. It, and here's what you have to understand from Mary and Joseph's perspective. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. They have been raising this boy from the time he was a baby, and it doesn't make sense to them that he would be in the temple. Because a 12-year-old boy simply did not spend three days at the temple talking with the scholars of the law. This is weird. It is a weird thing for Jesus to do. But the entire interaction and what we see in here is extraordinary in and of itself. Let's talk about Jesus and the teachers for a moment. Again, we are given very little information. So let's be careful not to draw too much from all of this. It is strange for these teachers to have sat around all this time having deep conversations with a 12-year-old. Kind of strange, isn't it? At any point, did they ask him where his parents were? Now, there's an important word in here which is easy to overlook. Jesus was found sitting among the teachers. Now, Luke is trying to tell us something with that one word. What is he trying to tell us? He was not merely sitting around them. He wasn't part of an audience. He was among them. He was among them. Jesus is almost in this story like one of the teachers of the law. Almost. Luke doesn't go that far. He still keeps them separated. But that word sort of describes to us a little bit of the dynamic. Um, and this is significant. From what Mary and Joseph see here, what is he doing with the teachers of the law? He's asking them questions. Now, that says something to us as well, doesn't it? Because I think, in part, when we imagine Jesus sitting with the teachers, we imagine 12-year-old Jesus standing here and the teachers being down here and 12-year-old Jesus telling them what this was all about. Right? And he probably has that halo thing over his head that you see in all the old pictures. Um, that's sort of what we see in this moment. But that's not what Luke describes. He is sitting among the teachers, yes, but he is asking them questions. He is interacting with him. And we don't often look at Jesus in this way. We do not view, we, we tend to view him, I should say, as a fully formed, 
Messiah needing no help or guidance. He is the one that corrects this kind of people. And in fact, in his adult life, he does it frequently, doesn't he? And yet, on this occasion, the boy Jesus was learning from these teachers. He was learning about how they understood the Word of God, and therefore understanding how they saw God and, and how they understood how He was working in the world. And I have to tell you that even for 12 year old Jesus, that was important information for him to have. He needed to understand what the teachers believed about God in order to help them understand God more fully. And when he had the opportunity to share, he apparently blew people away, and this is another important word, with his insights. So understand what he's doing. He is reading scripture with these teachers, and he is telling them how he understands it. And his understanding is remarkable. The things that he is saying now, what were they all talking about? We don't know, because Luke doesn't care what they were talking about. But we have to acknowledge that this was very unusual. And he had been doing this with them for at least three days. Back to Mary and Joseph and Jesus. Mary and Joseph were astounded by, or astonished by the scene that they found, uh, which, yeah, they should be, but they also had to be hurt. And I, and I think that's reflected in the question that they ask him. Why would you go to the temple and not tell us? Why would you stay here and not go back with us? Do you have any idea what the last three days have been like? And Jesus' response to them was simple. But let's pay attention to these words. Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Is there a word that sticks out to you in those statements? The word that should stick out, I think, is had. I had to be in my father's house. It would be easy to read a tone of rebuke or even arrogance into this statement of, from 12-year-old Jesus, but I, for one, don't think it was there. Um, I think that Jesus was trying to convey a simple and meaningful truth to them, and that is this. God is my Father, and I am going to be with him wherever he may be. Where he is, that is where you will find me. And that's why that word has is so important, because that's part of the story it tells us. It's almost as if Jesus did not have a choice to be anywhere else. You can find him where God is working. You can find him where God is doing things. You can find him where people are trying to understand and discover who God is. That is where you will find Jesus. So they took him home, and he willingly, it says, went with them. It's very gracious of him. And once the shock of the whole situation was over, we are told that Mary treasured this in her heart. <clears throat> okay. So why did Luke include this in his story? 
Well, Jesus was a true Israelite from birth, brought up in the moral and ritual life of Judaism. Home, temple, synagogue formed him, and no subsequent criticism of his ministry or message could trace charges against him to unfaithful family and growing up. Well, he wasn't taught right when he was a kid. Actually, he was. His parents didn't care, obviously, about doing the things of God. Actually, they did, and it was a bigger sacrifice for them than for most. Well, yeah, but he didn't mean it. Actually, while he was there, he ended up running away from his parents and staying in the temple for three days. All of this speaks to one fairly critical thing, right? Jesus has had a relationship with God since when? From the beginning. Jesus has had a relationship with God. And, you know, there are going to be people that, you know, well, of course, you know, he was born by the Holy Spirit. But you have to remember, a lot of people don't believe in the virgin birth. And it's hardly mentioned. The virgin birth is hardly mentioned through the rest of the gospel. And that's true in every gospel. If they talk about the birth of Jesus, the virgin birth is not brought up again as a point to prove who Jesus was throughout the rest of the gospels. But in these stories, we see that, look, it's not just that people are saying he's come from God. Look at what his family was like. Look at how he was raised. Look at what was important to him. And all of these things point to one thing. Jesus was doing the work of God even when he was a child. He spoke about it as if he had no other choice. And if that's true, then don't you think that as an adult, he was still doing the work of God when he was out teaching and talking about God and where God was and what God was doing. There's one last important thing here. This story mirrors a story that would have been important to the Jewish people. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, the boy Samuel was given to God by his mother Hannah after Hannah became pregnant through the blessing of God. And in time, when he was old enough, he was taken to live in the temple. And it was in the temple that Samuel came to an awareness of his special mission. God spoke to him there. And of the boy Samuel, it was said that he continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and with men. Does that remind you of anything? It does, which tells us another reason why Luke put it in there. Samuel was one of Israel's most respected prophets. He helped God choose the kings and saw the rise of David. And Luke knew of the similarities, and he helped the people see what, that, what was going on with Jesus, frankly, is not new. God has done something like this before. But this time, this time, where it goes is completely different. Because this child is here to change the world. So, did Luke prove that Jesus is the Son of God? Not really. And it is here that we recognize, again, that Luke can only do so much to show the people that were going to read his gospel who Jesus is. And, and Luke doesn't stop there, does he? He goes on to tell the most detailed account about the life of Jesus. 
because he knows that there is more to say about Jesus than the fact that he went to church every Sunday or that he had memorized scripture or that he prayed when he was supposed to. He did all of those things because he loved God, but there was so much more, wasn't there? And there were going to be many more difficult things to believe than the fact that Jesus grew up this way. But like Luke and everyone he mentions in these stories, we are witnesses to the Messiah who has come to redeem this world. And sometimes we might get caught up in wanting to talk about how this is right, about how this is true. And so maybe we want to talk about how, well, look at how, Je- how smart Jesus was. Well, look about all of the miracles that he performed. How about, how about all the incredible shows of power that he had over the wind and the waves and everything else? Doesn't that show you who Jesus is? It can, certainly. But for us who are on this far, far side of the story, those things about Jesus are true. But the most powerful story we have to tell is not about how Jesus multiplied loaves and fishes or walked on water. The most powerful story we have to tell is about how our lives changed when we realized, began to realize how much God loves us and how far he was willing to go to offer us salvation. We are still wrapping our minds around that. We still don't understand. We still do not have the words, the vocabulary to express how deep and wide and full is the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. But we do have a story to tell. And that story is how God took average, below average, above average, people who were all lost in their own failure, their own sin, and death was coming for them. And our God looked down upon that scene and said, no, that is not how it's going to be. And instead of waiting for us to do all the things we can do to change ourselves, God sent his son here. Not to undo everything he had done before, but to complete it so that we would no longer be defined by the law, which said, if you did this, you're good. If you don't do this, you're bad. Because we all knew that the law, the burden of the law, the burden of doing right all the time, was was, it's unattainable. We can't carry it. We are not capable. And that is why we know Jesus like we do is because God embraced that about us and said, you're right. You can't do what you need to do. 
you can't be good enough. You can't earn the salvation. But here it is anyway. And that is the wonder of the miracle that God has done in us. Amen?